Hello again everybody, this is uh, Jason Powers. On the day before Memorial Day occurs, the Sunday morning talk shows are likely spinning you yet again. The Wuhan lab leak theory comes back after the leftist media hid it from the sheet for 14 months or more. The National Pulse, like Natalie Winters and others, Zero Hedge, have done yeoman's work on this topic. This before Nicholas Wade, one of the me media beloved, came out and proclaimed the leak theory held merit. But what else have the billionaire media pundits lied about? For COVID, behavioral scientists were deployed by governments for fear propagation. And yet, one-fifth of Americans who bought guns in 2020 were virgins to weaponry. This may be due to fear, but definitely not causing the flight response. More to come in this episode. And yes, I think a lot of people have egg on their face. This was an idea uh, that, that was first put forward by Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, Donald Trump. And look, some things may be true even if Donald Trump said them. And there was, because Trump was saying so much else that was just out of control and because he was, uh, you know, making a, a, a frankly racist appeal talking about Kung flu and, and the China virus, his notion that, that, that put forward that this may have, or he said flatly that this, this came from that lab, was widely dismissed. But actually, there's some real reason. We don't know, by the way. We still don't know. We absolutely don't know. Uh, but now serious people are saying it needs a serious... So he says, uh, we don't know. But that's only because he, the person he was sitting next to on the stage uh, was giving him the, the dirty eye-roll look. And uh, that was Jonathan Carl, by the way. Uh, he was on ABC and evidently... Uh, He's uh, coming out and saying that it's uh, okay to to investigate now because you know Trump's out of office, so we can we can go ahead and look at shit like that. So uh, anyway, there's been a lot of um, things going on with the the now the the Wuhan lab theory, which the the leftist media now feels like they can go down the road because now they can curb stomp Fauci into the ground and throw him under the bus. Because uh, it's going to serve their purposes. Um, it, because they're going to have to deflect and they have to keep everybody busy with these things. And they have to uh, uh, spin up a story. And of course, you mentioned Kung Flu and racism. He had to, he had to uh, obviously, he can't, give, he can't give Trump any credit whatsoever. He has to make it like Trump just was guessing and it happened to be guessing right. Well, that isn't the case. Uh, the State Department came out in late... Jan well, in January of uh, 2021, and they were uh, made a, a statement um, 
explicitly about the Wuhan virus. And, of course, we know, uh, uh, for those who uh, follow the National Pulse, and I shout out to the people that listen to those um, uh, that's over there on the National Pulse Discord. Yeah, they um, uh, Natalie Winters has been uh, doing yeoman's work on this. Uh, she's been writing article after article exposing Fauci for what he is, curb stomping him into the ground because that's where he belongs. So she wrote uh, to the uh, uh, exclusive yesterday, uh, Fauci linked to the Wuhan researchers aided U.S. sanctioned uh, China paramilitaries in oppressing uh, the Uyghur Muslims. So uh, she goes down the road. The revelation follows increased scrutiny over Dr. Anthony Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for funding research on bat coronaviruses at the controversial lab and sending scientists to advise on risky gain-of-function research. In addition to funneling taxpayer dollars to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, whose website previously listed the National Institutes of Health as a research partner, Fauci's agency can now link to funding at an entity collaborating with the Zhangjian uh, Production and Construction Corps, XPCC. I'm not going to say that I pronounce that right because I'm not Chinese. Both Biden and Trump's Treasury Departments have sanctioned uh, the Zhijian uh, Production and Construction Corps, leading leaders for serious human rights abuses against ethnic minorities in Zhijian, which reportedly includes mass arbitrary detention and severe physical abuse. So, yeah, this has been going on for 20, 25 years. Uh, the Epoch Times has done many report on it. Even BuzzFeed did a four-part series on this. Um, they published it, and they had pictures, overhead views of concentration camps and whatnot. So this has been going on very, very steadily. And the point is, is uh, this is just one part of the, one piece of the puzzle of how uh, how embedded and how in deep the poison is in the United States. Uh, some of our most credible, supposedly our most credible agencies are involved with these people, you know, eyeball deep in, in uh uh, human rights abuses, gain of function studies, uh, CRISPR technology, a uh, host of basically everything that the Nazis did, and, and then some, because I, I guess you could say the Nazis weren't trying hard enough, but rather just uh, the Chinese just picked up where the Nazis left off, uh, and so did uh, some of our uh, people who happen to work in uh, the agencies that are involved in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, we employ some of the most... Uh, I guess you could say some of the most unethical people in the world. That doesn't surprise me none. So anyway, uh, Zero Hedge did an article. Virologists uh, say genetic fingerprints prove COVID-19 man-made. No credible natural ancestor. And I had discovered this. Uh, um, there's a, There's been multiple people who have broken down this virus and realized that there's only one ancestral or... Um, uh, existence one one particular virus uh, in other words there's not a, a mutation string that they can follow which means that this had to be man-made and wasn't uh, something that evolved naturally from nature it didn't go through the evolution process before it was released onto us so therefore it was done in a, in a lab but i'll let them talk because they're probably much more intelligent than i am British professor Angus uh, Dalglish, best known for creating the world's first HIV vaccine, and Norwegian virologist uh, Dr. 
Berger Sorensen, chair of the pharmaceutical company Immunor, who has published 31 peer-reviewed papers and holds several patents, wrote that while analyzing virus samples last year, the pair discovered unique fingerprints in the form of six inserts created through gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. They concluded that the SARS-CoV coronavirus 2 had no credible natural ancestor and it's beyond reasonable doubt that the virus was created via uh, laboratory manipulation. So they, they go through, and this has been looked at before, and they even named off the strains that are involved in this. And there was a collection date and submission dates, and the dates go back... Um, at least it looks like Mary uh, looks in, in particular the bat SARS coronavirus X, the ZXC21. That's actually the uh, supposedly the uh, the most important um, uh, characteristic uh, was uh, collection date was in July of 2015, and the submission date was January 5th of 2018. Um, so it just kind of shows, and then you have some of the other ones like the, the going back to the SARS uh, the table shows some isolates so it's quite interesting that he that uh, they put this together there's a visual there's a number of visuals i guess you can look through it if you're a biologist or virologist you can ascertain whether they're talking about that what they're talking about has uh credence or uh uh is valid i'm not a virologist i'm not going to be able to figure that out um I could figure it out maybe if I went through a class or two and understood how that worked. But uh, let's see here. I'm going to try to go on to something. So we're going to go on to this was this was actually uh, from uh, Glenn Greenwald. He he had um, posted this um, actually back in March of uh, 20, 26th of 2019. This just kind of shows how the media has been spinning us up for a long time. And how we should probably uh, pay more attention to exactly what they've been uh, saying. Uh, so this was off of CNBC, and this is Michael Isikoff talking about the Steele dossier. That said, and I agree with everything David said, except that the dossier did set expectations, and it did shape uh, what people were looking for, what they thought might have happened. Um, you know, it was endorsed in on multiple, multiple times on this network, people saying it's more and more proving to be true, and it wasn't. And in fact, I think one of the reasons people were so surprised by the Mueller uh, uh, finding is that that it undercuts almost everything that was in the dossier, which postulated a well-developed conspiracy right. between the Russians and the Trump campaign. That's what got people worked up initially. And we do have to acknowledge that, you know, that which yes. was alleged has not panned that, out. The first, the first appearance in the public domain, the document that, that, yeah. that, that, that you know, first begins a sort of real coverage of this during the transition, which is that he was briefed on this document shortly thereafter Buzzfeed publishes, postulates in a series of memos both a well-coordinated attack by the Russians, but a, but a back and forth between, <laughs> actively right. between Trump world and the Russians. And that's the introduction right. to the notion of what happened that then, exactly. you're right, I think sets and, a framework. And can I just make one more point, Chris? Yes. Because, you know, a lot of this was, you know, was we could have, we did see, some of us did see, just in the court filings that Mueller was making. Take the Roger Stone indictment. Yes. Everybody got all worked up about right. the fact that um, the Trump campaign was trying to use Stone to find out what right. WikiLeaks had. Right. Well, go back to what the original 
allegation was in the dossier. It was that it was all a well-developed exactly. conspiracy right. and the Trump campaign right. was in on the, from the beginning. Right. Which means they wouldn't have needed Roger right. Stone to find out what WikiLeaks had if the allegations in the dossier were true. They already right. knew what they were. But, but those but, allegations but what, but what, were not. So if we go through that, I mean, even this was a put out in MSNBC. This was from twenty uh, March twenty sixth of twenty nineteen, and this was posted up by Glenn Greenwald, who's uh, obviously was the founder of the Intercept, and he's. Uh, decoupled from there, or got fired, or decided to go his own route. Now he is no—he's no conservative by any stretch of the imagination. He's just, uh, um, I would say, uh, you're a garden variety liberal, and I think he—he's at least uh, seen—he sees the flaws in allowing some of the untruth untruth become the the narrative that uh, the media has been spinning us up for, you know. Time immortal, but uh, in particular, these last four to five years where they've uh, put out a uh, product that is disgustingly evil in terms of how it's treating and manipulating people, and that goes to the beha- uh, goes to uh, behavioral, uh, pro- uh, basically trying to contort and and, and, and gin up uh, fear in people, because obviously Russia, 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 and we know the history there, and they're trying to make that into a narrative that they can sell and pitch to uh the sheep and the people that believe these kind of things and they they uh, their expectation is the media would never lie to them or the media would never put out anything that's a falsehood you know trump is evil trump is this trump is that i mean they're still they're still barking or you know throwing out allegations on him and there's an investigation a grand jury investigation going on in new york city uh, led by Cyrus Vance and uh, Letitia James, who suddenly didn't have any need or excuse to investigate Andrew Cuomo, who killed 13,000 people in nursing homes. But let's leave that aside. We don't need that or all the allegations of um, uh, female uh, uh, basically doing, uh, let's just say, sexual harassing things to women in the workplace. But uh, of course, you know, they'll say, well, Trump did that stuff too. You know, they'll make those kind of uh, um, whataboutisms that go on. And that's what the the left, when whenever they're cornered, they just sh- blame shift onto, the, onto Trump because and then they, they think they, those things are always true. Um, anybody can make an allegation. Can they come by, can they go uh, further with their allegation and have they been able to press, pursue those in court? I know a primary example of what, what was absolute bullshit was uh, one of the allegations on sexual, um, you know, of a sexual nature against Trump was brought, dropped in New York. It was dropped in New York. I saw the case filing and I saw the complaint and I read through the complaint. They were trying to make innuendos with Epstein and all this other kind of shit. And no sooner that Trump actually had representation go out there and were, were making uh, counter filings and about you know what the accusation was. Uh, they they withdrew the complaint and uh, uh, closed the case. So it was all about getting it out into the media, which is a classic example of how they they do this all the time. They launder the information by putting the putting information out that can't be uh, doesn't even go through the process of re- refutation, and then everybody has to accept it. Then the people out here in the sheep town accept it because they never see a retraction. So they just they only hear part. They only hear one half of the conversation, and they only hear one half of the story. They don't hear the finality of it. 
they just assume that it's going forward and they say well he has so many things going against him how could he possibly be uh, 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 clear of all of them well when you have the, the, the agencies of the United States of America piled on against you uh, they have plenty of resource. They have unlimited resources thanks to us because we're the taxpayer that pay for all that shit. And it it never avails. They just, they just keep on after it. I mean, the guy has been impeached twice on bullshit and they're going back for a third bite at the apple because they have to get a felony conviction so that he can't run for president. That's how scared they are of him. They don't want it. They don't want him in politics because they have their corruption in place and they want it that way. That's why they're scaring off, or trying to scare off anybody who fights against them, uh, fights back, uh, while they're uh, doing just evil stuff. So we're going to move on here to uh, Lori Dodsworth. She, uh, this is for the, te- uh, she published this in the Telegraph. How the state used behavioral science to scare a nation into submission. It wasn't just one nation, but uh, this is uh, attached to the UK. But you could you could attach it to the United States too. I don't think there's any difference. I've read some uh, stuff that's been uh, put out by uh, Yale and other universities tied to the behavioral science behind COVID nineteen and what they were trying to accomplish. It was kind of reprehensible. This was actually published by James Corbett. He did a did a nice little uh, uh, video on it back I think in July or August. And it was quite detailed in how they were playing on rolling out vaccines and how they were going to try to incentivize and actually start to uh, use enforcement. But uh, back to this article. So given a choice, would the British people choose dictatorship or democracy? Would they choose the transparency and trust or nudge and the weaponization of fear? Last week, we learned that Dominic Cummings believed that COVID-19 emergency would have benefited from a kingly authority of data science Mark Warner. This is exactly the style of authoritarian, top-down, state-knows-best style government we need to move away from. It does, not, it does not befit one of the cradles of democracy and British people deserve better. Of course, this attitude should come as no surprise. Back in 2019, Mr. Cummings predicted the future will be about experimental psychology and data science. Well, the future is now, and the use of nudge to encourage compliance with rules has changed our lives and our relationships with each other and irreversibly shifted the social contract between individuals and government. All this was predicted in the report Mindspace, Influencing Behavior Through Public Policy, a Cabinet Office discussion paper from 2010. It warned, People have a strong instinct for reciprocity that informs their relationship with government. They pay taxes, and the government provides services in return. This transactional model remains intact if government legislates and provides advice to inform behavior. But if the government is seen as using powerful pre-conscious effects to subtly change behavior, people may feel the relationship has changed. Now the state is affecting them, their very personality. Using fear is ethically dubious at best. If psychologists were provoking fear in a laboratory experiment, they would need the consent of people taking, a, taking part. Yet we never signed consent forms, and thus huge social experiment has, has not been through any ethics committee. We didn't notice, maybe we didn't even care, when behavioral psychologists were nudging us into paying taxes on time or cutting down smoking, but their underhanded, underhand tac- tactics have certainly got our attentions now. 
you could argue that frightening people to make them follow the rules during an emergency was in our best interest. Well, what about the opposing arguments that this is affecting our personality, our mental health, our agency? The, in, the insufficiently fearful were deliberately alarmed. How a horror film-style advertising, laws to manage the minutiae of our daily lives, the most punitive fines since the Dark Ages, encouraging social conformity and the alarmist use of statistics were just some of the government's tactics during the pandemic, signaling their lack of trust in the public's ability to understand risk and behave sensibly. Even children were not exempt for such blame. Indeed, they were explicitly targeted with messaging, messaging warning, Don't kill granny. This shocking slogan looks even more abhorrent given the allegations that the elderly were not tested uh, before being transferred from hospital to care homes. Who killed granny, exactly? The policies of the last year affected our daily lives, weakened our social bonds, and disrupted the most intimate human rights of birth, marriage, and death. We need to be cautious about policies which invade our humanity. We mustn't, less, uh, we mustn't let a medical crisis strip us of our freedoms or our ideals. If you concede that behavioral science and their weaponization of fear are acceptable tools for one crisis, will you accept them for the next? One recent report from a team of University of Bath already shows how behavioral psychologists hope to segue from COVID to climate change behavior while habits are weakest and most malleable to change. Nudge is likely to play a bigger, bigger part in the future government attempts to transform us into model citizens. Last week, every MT, MP was sent, sent their own copy of my book, A State of Fear, donated by a group of concerned people in the recovery campaign. In a letter to MPs, they described the books as, a book as essential reading and questioned, as I do, the ethics of fear messaging and behavioral psychology. Nudge undermines free will and removes our choices without us even knowing. Nudge is not fair play. It is not democratic. A crucial part of the United Kingdom's recovery must be the restoration of trust and transparency, and this will only happen once we are honest about the tactics that, that were used, the ethical questions that you've posed, and most of all, their impact on, on the population. Which leads to the thinking that even though these, these, uh, these people happen to adopt it in, their, in the UK, uh, I haven't paid as much attention about uh, what their media has been doing and what the what's been going on there, um, though you, you, they have been marching and protesting against this kind of uh, overreach and uh, overall manipulation of people. Um, some of this has obviously been driven by the CCP because they were the ones who just created this propaganda almost from the outset. Of, well, from the outset of this uh, uh, pandemic that was in the Wuhan uh, laboratory and came out of there. They created imagery. Um, a war room pandemic actually plays quite a few, uh, quite a little, little bit of it, where they show a guy falling onto the sidewalk, and it, and if you pay really close attention, the person tries to catch themselves on the way down. So it was all an act. But if you didn't pay attention, you would have thought, "Oh my God, look at that person fall over." This was all ployed up. Uh, the welding of people in the homes. I'm not saying they didn't have substantial amounts of uh, death tolls there. They probably did, uh, just because of the locality of it all. But a lot of this was to, to manipulate their own people and manipulate the rest of the world. And, of course, by overblowing it, it, it served their benefit to to uh, spread the fear around the world to everybody. And people who were accustomed to being afraid, or easily afraid, 
they jumped right right to, into lockstep at what exactly what they wanted to do. And lockstep in 20, 2010 was a plan that was put out by the Rockefeller Foundation, which was actually supported. Uh, one of the one of the directors who signed on to that paper was a uh, director of PATH, which is supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So this whole idea of rock uh, of uh, getting people locked down and surveilled and everything this has all been a very well coordinated plan. This is coordinated back through the WHO and and they were all on board with this kind of stuff. There is a there is an auditorium or several auditoriums full of people who either by either by explicit knowledge or implicit knowledge that they could have learned from just being, you know, halfway paying attention, who created this mess around the world. I'd say there's hundreds if not thousands of people that are ethically and morally responsible for the actions that, that were taking place. But, you know, there's, there's, you know what they say, there's very little appetite amongst the populace because you know they 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 know that the populace can't uh won't resist because um they've uh, they've got enough people that are uh too scared to respond or react in accordance to uh their agency which is quite in a quite a uh, <laughs> quite an irony because uh, i've i've heard for the last 30 or 40 years at least in at least in certain circles in academia or whatnot with regards to um, um, say feminism for example about you know having agency to do what they want to do and yet they're so easy to give up their agency just through through the the process of fear like they're unawares that there there uh, there are people out here in this country and in this world that will gladly scare the shit out of you to get you to do what they want you to do i mean we all at one point in our lives or another have probably faced the uh, certain fear manipulations. I mean, at least I can. I have a a, a, a substantial exa- example of that happening with uh, coming from my own father. Uh, enough so that I I complied at least when I was with him. When I wasn't with him, I resisted. And uh, after a while, I learned that 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 you do have to resist. And you know, you're going to take your lickings. Now, luckily, I was of an you know, middle school age, and that just comes a part of the the nature. And maybe that's that's the the you know everybody has a different uh, response to uh, their stimulus that gets put on them, put upon them. So I'm gonna go actually play a clip here from um, this was uh, from a, a lady who posted this about the Epoch Times and uh, Doctor uh, I can't I can't pronounce his last name. He's an Indian doctor, Jay Bhattacharya from uh, um, he's from Stanford University. He's part of the Great Barrington Declaration. So I'm going to uh, play that piece, and then uh, we'll go from there. The lockdown could stop the disease from spreading altogether in a place where it's already relatively widespread. That is the central, most pernicious thing that came out of the Chinese experience with this. Huge numbers of Western governments copied that. So what was the alternative to lockdowns? 55,000 signatories from U.S. Medical Canada. practitioners. Fascinating. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is a public health policy expert at Stanford University and co-author of the Great Barrington Declaration. It argues for focused protection of those most at risk from COVID-19. I don't think there's anything novel in it. This is effectively reflecting pandemic plans that we've made previously that have worked for a century in dealing with epidemics. 
the premise of it is just basically two scientific facts that I think everybody agrees with. One is that there's this enormous age gradient in COVID risk, so that the oldest are a thousand times more at risk than the youngest. And the second is the lockdown harms are enormous. You put those two facts together, for the older population, COVID is likely more dangerous than the lockdowns. For the younger populations, the lockdown is way more harmful than COVID. It's not moral to expose them to the lockdown. So as you can uh, tell, I mean, he's he's been saying this since at least July, I think, of last year um, was when I first ran across him and others like him. Uh, Michael Levitt, uh, he's also from Stanford, Nobel Prize in 2013. Uh, and of course, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, Dr. Kerry Majal. Uh, there's there's been numerous, so many doctors I've run across. Uh, uh, Dr. Lee Merritt. Um, there's been a host of people who have examined this on a on the mass side, on the vaccine side, on the lockdown side. Um, there's there's just so much overwhelming evidence that this was all bullshit. Um, to the to the, the larger degree, this was a political uh, from this this was a political opportunity, and it's being used and exploited to destroy our economies, our politics, and and overthrow our our uh, way of life. And this is all the Western world. It's the de- the des- desecration of of American values of Western uh, uh, you know the uh, liberalization of of capital liberalization of uh, uh, people's abilities to make decisions, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom of, of uh, right to bear arms. Uh, obviously, in some countries, those those are uh, restrained, which is reprehensible. Those those rights should be restored. Government has over overstepped their bounds, and there's going to be a there will be a snapback at some point or another. Um, it may not be pretty for some of these people who who have used their government positions to exploit the people for way too long. And they're gonna they're gonna cry a foul when 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 the day of judgment comes for them, and it will because it always does. Uh, there's no people will get fed up, they'll get tired, there'll be an overwhelming push to see that those people are brought to justice one way or another, and they may not they they'll or they'll 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 overstep their bounds. See, right now they know that they have enough sheep on their side that they can't. They can get away with it, and they still hide behind the military and the police. Um, they're, they're honestly they're useful souls or useful idiots themselves. Um, those that refuse to, I know they obey orders and stuff, and of course, uh, for people who don't obey orders, are the ones that are most um, most uh, threatening to the state because the state doesn't like people who think for themselves or are independent and and have their own mindset about things and actually are speaking the truth to them. Are speaking the truth of the the sheep, they don't want anybody who actually tells them exactly what's going on because that's what the media is for, and the media is obviously there to lie to them at, at all way and at all levels of uh, uh, abilities and and use that to to manipulate and control the populace as much as possible, and that's always been the case. That's been going back, especially in the modern uh, parlance of the the media state. Going back to you know, really radio's uh, humble beginnings in the 19, early 1920s, when the broadcast and stations became more and more prevalent, and then of course um, through uh, screens and whatnot. And so, in the past hundred years, 
the state is obviously even though we always think that all these media companies are operating independently no they're being uh, in many cases obviously state supported media uh, through agency and through uh, investment and at worst of all is like not only is it bad enough to have our own United States State Department or CIA uh, supporting our media uh, functionaries out there the the hustlers who either work in the work in media that are either connected to and or married to people who work in in government but it's it's really pernicious when our uh, uh, the CCP has bought you know uh, bought or has uh, controlling shares in companies like CNN or AT&T or whatnot and are using that platform to exploit the gullible masses that watch them on a daily basis uh, even if their audiences are shrinking they still have enough delusional power or control over a diluted amount of masses that'll go out here and they'll spew all their lies and they're ginned up and they they believe everything that gets pumped through their head uh, no matter how many times you try to tell them otherwise they don't listen to you because they're you know they that's why they like they like to get them young because the younger they are the more exploitable they are so i mean there's some other news uh, for example uh india has a there's a there's a, a effort to file lawsuits against people out there i've left a link in the description uh, uh to uh honor ukb which is a uh, on twitter uh jack posobic posted about restaurant how they're increasing prices so this is going to this is where the hyperinflation is coming in potentiality so after they crushed all these restaurants by closing them last year and then the ones that stayed open or managed to survive are now having to up their prices to maintain profitability due to the fact that the price of goods have gone up substantially from their suppliers excuse me and so now they're going to, and now you're going to have this problem that they're going to have problem with getting people in there because people's money um, situations have changed significantly. All the money that they pumped into the markets is just going to the billionaires and the richest people who are exploiting that those uh, particular aspects. The money that gets trickled down to people is minuscule. I mean, when they ran the ran the COVID uh, uh, stimmy checks out. If you took the proportionality of the the stimmy checks to the to ratio of uh, the actual size of the bill, it was it was like five to ten percent at most um, of the money was going directly to people. The other parts of it was going to uh, corporations and supposedly businesses, but really not, and probably going to a lot of pork barrel spending. And then it was going out of the country. Uh, just a host of really nasty, just malevolence. And they, of course, they all signed on to it, nearly all. Uh, the one that the first bill they passed in December was like 5,000 pages long or 5,500 pages long. And, you know, they just, it was like passed uh, overwhelmingly in both the House and the Senate. I think it was the Senate was like 94 to 6 for F's sake. And then the people that complained that Trump didn't veto it. Well, even if even if he had to put a hard veto on it, it wouldn't have made any difference. They would have just passed and passed. Uh, they would have overrode his veto because all he needs two thirds to do it, and they had two thirds. All he could do was uh, he put in a rescission. He put in a uh, thing that said he had up to forty five days to cut out the the spending that they didn't like, but it didn't make any difference because he wasn't president anymore. 
So uh, uh, the Hill posted a uh, feed on. They said one fifth of Americans buying guns in 2020 were, uh, you know, were brand new first time owners. So uh, to the fear, the, to the fear propagation that they that the media has tried to uh, instill in us, uh, they've been rather sad about getting it accomplished because people are. Uh, <laughs> They decided not to uh, take the flight or run away, though there is some of that that went on. Uh, people decided to arm up. They said they're going to fight it out because they, they knew that there was uh, the riots, which were also a preconceived plan to uh, gin up racism and gin up, uh, gin up this whole concept of that in this country, which uh, really hasn't existed since the... the Middle '60s and really the late '50s. That that was probably the the height, the last uh, gasp of, of I would say, overt racism in this country, uh, in the United States. Uh, growing up in the South in the late 1970s, unlike Kamala Harris, who who complains about busing, I can actually remember a time when I uh, would ride on a bus when I was in first, second, and third grade, and and sit on the lap of a, of a, of a person to, uh, excuse me. I would sit on a, uh, high schooler or eighth graders lap as I was going out to the different, uh, schooling locations that were going on. Um, yeah. So we had, uh, a long bus ride and I remember being on a bus for about an hour and, and it would be overcrowded and I was going all over town and it was ineffective but yet you know that was being enforced or being required from uh from uh the integration or desegregation or however you want to approach it with busing so unlike Miss Kamala Harris I probably have a lot more instances of actually dealing with something like that so I didn't find that a problem. One of my best friends growing up was a, name, a guy named Michael Cunningham, who was a big basketball fan. He was a he was a Dr. J, and I was a Larry Bird when we played in the backyard. And he was really my uh, I guess you could say my first black friend. I mean, he lived down the street from me. So this idea that we haven't integrated, and this was in Tennessee, the fact that we haven't been able to integrate or talk or discuss, and is all bullshit. And it's reprehensible that the media and other groups are just constantly pushing this, and the White House is pushing this. Now they, they, they slather on all the accolades. Oh, they got themselves a new, uh, new person, new uh, pointy head to bring out to, uh, to spin lies for us because they don't have a policy, but they have a their policy is to deflect and uh, spin up bullshit so that people will uh, continue to eat their crap. So. It's good to know that we have a well-armed populace. Uh, that makes it harder for the police and the military. They won't win if they attempt to take our guns away. They'll they'll find that uh, the resistance in the Americans are a lot is a lot stronger than they expect. Really, the only thing they can do right now is cyber attack us and and destroy our economy further, which seems to be two of their two of their weapons that they're going to continue to do. Eventually, people are going to get really sick of COVID. And they're going to know that the biological weapon was released upon them. And that's going to really set some people off. So we're going to end with a couple. We're going to end with uh, a sound that you hear usually on uh, Labor Day. Um, at least I did in, in Indiana. Um, this is from the Indy 500. It was it, uh, just a short clip. And then we'll close out uh, with the closeout theme music. Music. <laughs>
So there you have it. Even in Indianapolis, they had 100,000 people there today to watch the 500. Um, I used to live at 10th and Lyndhurst, which is about a, uh, about a mile and a half, two miles away from the track back in the 90s. I used to jog over there about happy hour, which was uh, late afternoon, somewhere between 4.30 and 5.30. That's when uh, they like to go out and uh, hit the track and get their get their uh, times uh, times in the, for practice. Those are great days, you know, looking back 25 or even 35 years ago. My grandfather passed on July 4th of 1986. It's been 35 years since he's gone. Um, he would be shocked and awed by all the bullshit that's gone on since then. I can remember when Reagan was uh, in his first, second, first and second term. Um, there was a lot of hope then. And ever since uh, George Herbert Walker Bush took over in the White House, things have been fucking up ever since. Um, we've just gone further in debt. We let the Chinese hijack us. We stopped caring about our country, at least at the D.C. level. When I say we, um, you know, the politicians stopped caring. The agencies stopped caring. Our court system start, stopped caring about our country. We've been infiltrated by stupid-ass Marxists. Uh, Princeton today decided that they don't want to teach uh, Greek or Latin anymore in their uh, schools. Uh, that was reported today on the National Pulse or uh, on Discord. So I looked at that article and I, uh, by Natalie Winters, and I was just, just shocked and awed. Um, we're just teaching stupid to people. Anyways, uh, I appreciate your time and efforts. Uh, go out and have a great uh, Memorial Day. God bless the United States of America, and God bless the world. <laughs>